Hey, what's going on? It's Quinn David Furness. Welcome to my show. Quinn David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast for Friday, December 1st, 2023. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? My name is Quinn. I am the host of this show, and we got a special treat for you today. Uh, We are live at the base of the orb, and I'm going to be taking you up on the journey with me here in Sagatuck, Michigan. And we're going to learn a little bit about the orb, a little bit about South America, a little bit about Jim Jones. This show is going to have it all. A couple show notes here quickly. This is very DIY on the fly. I am literally recording off of my iPhone using the microphone built into my AirPods. So when Someone walks past me. Hopefully, I won't look like a lunatic, and I'm just looks looks like I'm just uh, you know talking to someone on the phone here. But it's also um, you know I've recorded shows on my phone before a handful of times. Obviously, the audio quality is not as great as if we had our fine friend of the show Samson Q2U series with us. But we're going to try to make it work, regardless, irregardless, one of our uh, winning horse names uh, in the, in years past. As we wrap up season six here, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm very, uh, anxious is, is way too strong of a word, but just, you know, you got like the phone in your pocket, you, you hit lock and you just hope that the audio recording like keeps going, doesn't cut out, um, because then it would be a really crappy show. So that's the plan. Listener discretion is advised when you listen to the Beantown Podcast. Number one, we'll occasionally use some language. Number two, this podcast is objectively terrible, although it's outside, it's nature. When I was thinking about doing a podcast outside, I had a flashback. I think it was it was right at the end of year one of the Beantown Podcast. I was living in Maryland, and I had gone away New Year's Eve, like the day before and the day after. I got an Airbnb uh, out near Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I was just doing some hiking out around like the Shenandoah region. And I did a podcast once out there from the outdoors, like a small hike near a creek. That was that was the uh that was the trip where I went away and I was staying in like a basement Airbnb and then the power went out uh because I plugged in the space heater and I tried to make the frozen pizza on the pancake griddle. It was just, it was a whole adventure, and uh, that's where I edited the first and last, the first and only ever like year yearly recap compilation. If you'll recall, it's like a four hour video, our year one recap show, which is just spliced together clips. I haven't listened to that in years. Uh, I would be interested in, in going back and checking that out, not just like sitting down for four hours and listening to it, but. Knowing the amount of work that went into that, sitting in a cold, dark basement, and uh, just by myself with like like half of the outlets were working, half of them weren't, eating a frozen pizza from Aldi on a cooked on a pancake griddle. It just does not work well, if you're curious. But a lot of work and uh, darkness and coldness went into that, so... Uh, but I'm kind of reminded of it because that day was very cold. The thing that that day had going for it when I recorded that show out there in uh, Virginia, West Virginia, I can't remember. Um, no rain. It is raining right now. It's not like a, like a steady downpour. It's a trickle, though. 
completely gray overcast skies and it's been like this all day uh, we couldn't even walk to our coffee shop uncommon uh, coffee this morning which we usually do you know five six minute walk something like that we had to drive take the car it felt like such a such a yuppie killing the environment like that but we still got our coffee and we're, we're going to circle back to the coffee in a second here once we get up the once we get going up the stairs we're at the base of the um of the orb if you've never been here the orb is atop mount Baldhead here in Sagatuck. it's between so basically you have Sagatuck, then you have the kalamazoo river which runs along downtown right before it empties into lake michigan but then there's like a small strip of land a very narrow strip that's probably only if i had to guess oh there i'm looking at a deer right now two deer i saw them i almost hit one with my car when i was driving in another back over here that's pretty cool how many podcasts are, are live looking at deer they're watching me as i podcast they think i'm crazy you know we did we do interview with a dog on this show what about interview with a deer looks like I don't know, I'm assuming a mom and a baby, or maybe it's just two moms, Lincoln Park, like a Lincoln Park hot walk. Do male deer lose their antlers in the off season? Because then I guess maybe it could be a male deer and a, you know, just a couple, or maybe it's lesbians. I don't really know what we're dealing with here. But uh, yeah, looking at, this is interesting. We've got these stairs going all the way up the mountain. This one is just a straight up staircase. Look, they're looking like they're trying to cross I don't know if they're going to be able to, though. We'll keep an eye on that and uh, circle back. But, yeah, basically there's this thin strip of land that's got to only be, I don't know, probably 300, 400 meters across. It's, it's very small, less than a quarter of a mile, I would I would guess. And atop between Sagatuck and Lake Michigan is, oh, they, they passed under the stairs. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, is it's called Mount, Mount Baldhead, B A L D H E A D, like me in six to eight years here. Uh, it's really just a gigantic dune, but it's kind of the tallest thing that southwestern Michigan's got going for it. And atop Mount Baldhead is uh, what is affectionately known as the Orb in uh, my reality, in my world. It's in actuality, uh, I call it an orb because it's a big white ball. It looks like, you know, full moon or something like that when you're you know, looking from afar. But it's actually a radar tower with a very interesting history. So we're going to we're gonna be walking up the stairs here, talking about the orb, talking about uh, some other things that I was learning about and I'll share with you um, that are not even related to the orb at all, uh, but I thought were very interesting. Mentioned Jim Jones at the top of the show. Yeah, that's coming back. Uh, not in li real life, but for the show. Uh, I, so I was actually doing some some solid reading. The deer have uh, passed on. I don't know where they're going. But uh, doing some reading the other night on Wikipedia about the orb. But I actually have a sign here from the Friends of Mount Baldhead radar station. Uh, here at the bottom of the mountain that I will quickly read to you. So a brief history lesson for you. This is just this ultra condensed version. If you are curious, you can go look at it, uh, read the full thing on Wikipedia. It's a pretty interesting article. It's been a lot of preservation and stuff. And it didn't, uh, you know, they built this thing. It didn't, wasn't like in use for a very long period of time. 
So here you go, directly from the sign. This is like three paragraphs here, and then we'll make our way up the stairs. In 1949, the U.S. Air Force teamed up with IBM and MIT to create the Semi-Automatic Ground Environment, or SAGE system, a sophisticated computerized air defense network to watch over our northern border. This system collected data from hundreds of radar stations across the country, feeding it into one of the first true computer networks to keep an eye out for Soviet invaders. Construction on the unmanned station began in 1956. Once complete, it featured a Bendix AN-FPS-14 radar, supported by a diesel-powered generator, two motor generator rotary regulators, a site monitor, and a coordinate data transmitter. The original radar began sending data to the 781st Aircraft Control and Warning Squadron at Fort Custer AFS near Battle Creek, Michigan in 1958. In 1963, the Ray Dome was added to the tower when, that's the orb, by the way, it was added to the tower when the ANFPS-14 was upgraded to the ANFPS-18 radar, which is still present in the building. When the Mount Baldhead radar station was permanently deactivated in 1968, so it was going for, they constructed it in 1956, and it was done by 1968. The Air Force terminated its lease, selling the building, tower, and radar equipment to the city of Saugatuck for $250 in 1969. Efforts are currently underway to add the Mountain Bulbhead Radar Station to the National Register of Historic Places. And I believe the sign, it's its in, you know, the U.S., so that's the end of the sign. And the U.S. has, like, varying levels of, you know, national historic monuments, places, parks whatever and this this belongs on some level or this is currently part of some like level of that and this sign said that's trying to get to the historic places national register i think from what i read on wikipedia that it, it has achieved that so that's my understanding there's a little bit of a history of the orb there's a lot more to it but basically yeah it was a radar uh and like early cold war days um looking for soviet uh, invaders from the north essentially is what we're dealing with here and the radar is still intact the orb is still intact um but it's deactivated the, but like the building that houses the generator that's still up there um so speaking of up there let's make our way up i don't i don't remember how many steps there are it's probably a couple hundred something like that uh we timed it out last time we walked up here it took us five minutes rachel and i which by the way rachel unfortunately is working right now back at the airbnb so i'm flying solo for this podcast so it's going to be a little bit of a workout and a podcast all at the same time but basically yeah you just have this very long staircase with some landings every 15 steps or so and uh, some of the landings have benches some of them don't metal guardrails on either side and uh, like a wire frame protecting it and it just goes up the side of this gigantic sand dune aka mount Baldhead. and the first the first thing you gotta love about mount Baldhead and the orb broadly speaking by the way side note broadly speaking would be a great like if there was a real housewife or some someone that wanted to do a spin-off podcast because everyone these days has a has a podcast. Even uh, Raquel uh, from Vanderpump Rules, she just sent out she's starting a podcast called Raquel Going Rogue. And yes, 
it is much tougher to uh, run a podcast for the friends of the show. Hashtag beanheads when you are climbing flights of stairs. I don't really want to stop. I want to keep going. We're just going to take it slow. Um, lost our train of thought. Broadly speaking, I don't remember what I was trying to say there. I will also mention thank you to our friends in southwestern Michigan. Thank you to our friends in the great Islamic state of Pakistan for supporting this program and making us the 112th ranked comedy podcast in the great nation of Pakistan. I remember what I was saying. So you driving in either, you know, 194 and you take it up to the north side of town and get off there or you take it to the south side of town. And either way, you're driving north, approaching the city. I got to stop to actually stretch my hamstring. Kind of silly, but like hamstrings a little bit uh, like if I started a full off sprint right now, it would it would pull. I'm not sprinting, obviously, but it's like not a comfortable sensation. So you're driving in, you see it, and this is what you got to love about the orb. The orb itself doesn't have like a light inside of it, which is too bad, because that'd be really cool if it was like you know, this bright shining thing for all of mankind to see. But uh, they put a star, a, a gigantic Christmas star on the side of it. And so when you're driving in at night, like we were last night, you just see it for miles around, guiding you home. And that's actually one of the things they, they talk about online is the orb in some past life was helpful, excuse me, to boats on Lake Michigan because this thing is just, basically got this gigantic sand dune on this tiny strip of land. And you come, you can come up from the east side, small parking lot, which is where the car is right now. You can go up or you can go come up the west side from the beach of Lake Michigan, Oval Beach. And uh, I've never actually gone down that way. I don't think that there are stairs there. I think it's just like the sand, basically. Which would be awfully treacherous uh, in this rain. A little bit of wind, but not too bad. Checking on our broadcast. It looks like things are still going well from a recording perspective. Yeah, we're 15 minutes in here. So we're about, I don't know, 50 stairs left here. But I did want to mention, okay, so this is our fourth time coming to Michigan. There's a couple. Third time to Saugatuck. And we kind of got our spots now. So our, our first place we go, our first morning, Uncommon Coffee, downtown Saugatuck. Recommendation from my sister-in-law, who used to live around these parts. And uh, they always have some good specialty lattes. Got one flight of stairs left. Then listening to this podcast won't be so laborious. L-A-B-O-R. 
I-O-U-S. And so, you know, you gotta, I'm not much for like spending six and a half bucks on a latte typically. I made it. There's some more signage we'll read in a second. Gotta catch my breath first. Um, great views up here, by the way. Jeez. So, you get up here, yeah, there's the, the path down to the beach is just sand. Sounds really miserable right now. So you can kind of see west out across Lake Michigan, but shrouded in trees a little bit. But then you look south and you look east, uh, back out onto Saugatuck in the foreground, which is where we stay, and then Douglas a little bit further down across the river, um, which is a it's kind of a sister thing. They share the same school district and stuff. Uh, actually, Douglas is bigger in population, but Saugatuck is more not- notable. Um, we go to, we go to the coffee place, get a latte. I don't remember what I got, some sort of white chocolate, something It was very delicious though. And Rachel decided she was going to have the, the, uh, I think it was called the Guiana is what it was called. G-U-I-A-N-A. And so I had to ask her, Hey, you know what Guiana is? You know what's going on with that? And she said, no, don't know Guiana. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, French Guiana and the, the nation of Guiana. But then we sat down to sip our coffee and share our chocolate chip scone. And I got into a deep Wikipedia hole, first about Guiana, and then inevitably about, well, French Guiana, then Guiana, then inevitably, inevitably, about Jim Jones. And I read, I, I mean, I read like the entire Jim Jones Wikipedia article, which is, uh, pretty wild, uh, pretty long, to be honest. But, you know, you're sitting there with a decent amount of time. And I uh, I should have been taking notes right from the beginning uh, because there's a ton of good stuff in there. But I did, I did jot down a couple of just wild, fascinating things I learned. I mean, the first thing I'll say is if you – if all you know about Jim Jones is just like the Jonestown incident – massacre however you want to label it um and you like weren't alive in the 60s and 70s when he was a thing you got to go check out his his story um not to glorify it or anything like that but it's just like a wild thing it's such it's such like a 1960s and red scare is what i was going to say that's not you know the proper terminology but just thinking about like that era of mccarthyism and you know, rise of the Soviet Union, and it's perfect because of here we are at the orb, and we know exactly why it was built now. You can see the giant star. It's not it's not lit up during the day, although it would be nice to have it lit up right now because it's awfully gray, stormy, and dark. I'm hopeful. I know the audio quality on this is not going to be amazing because it's the AirPods, but I'm hopeful that, like, the natural world around me isn't messing it up too much. The rain isn't terrible right now. It's not super windy, so... Fingers crossed for that. Uh, but I started reading the, you know, the Jim Jones Wikipedia page and just came across some wild things. We're going to have trivia in a second here um, about South America. I also want to, we mentioned our friends at the Samson Q2U series taking the week off this week. Of course, our good friends at Cuts by Q did a nice little neck shave by Q before we came out here so I could be fresh 
we got a big Christmas parade tomorrow. We got a big ugly sweater bar crawl tomorrow with all our buddies up here in Sagatuck. So you gotta you gotta look fresh for that. When you need a fresh do something stand up here and you call the experts at cuts by Q. And of course our good friends at Home Pride Oregon, when you need your home inspector in Central Oregon, you gotta call someone who's safe, someone who's certified, someone you can trust. That could be my dad, Steve. Give him a call, 541-410-0316. Tell him Quinn sent you, or go to homepartyoregon.com, or email homepartyoregon at gmail.com, or you can email beantownpodcast at yahoo.com, or cutsbyq at yahoo.com, and cchomepartyoregon at gmail.com, and it's going to all get to the inbox you need it to get into one way or another here. Um, you can kind not really see our Airbnb from up here. You get a good a good view of downtown Sagatuck, but then the rest kind of gets lost in the trees a little bit. I know where I'm looking at the houses in that general area. You can see the high school up here, Sagatuck High School. Uh, Home Pride, Oregon, inspection, perfection. So uh, before we jump into our Jim Jones stuff here, I'll just, I'll just lay, uh, lay out the scene for you. We talked a little bit, but we're, we've made it to the top of the orb, obviously. Um, it's a, hopefully a much more pleasant uh, program to listen to now that I'm not painting my way through sentences. Painting, P-A-N-T-I-N-G. Basically, you get to the top. It's a wooden, kind of a, a, a long, skinny wooden observational platform. You can go south, and there's a tiny little like observation deck sort of thing going on there, and that's where I was just standing, looking out over town. But when you get to the stairs, if you take a right, there's another kind of deck or platform here, which is um, what you, it's kind of viewing for the orb. Now the orb itself, the complex is basically a house with two rooms in it that houses the generator. And then the actual tower itself with the radar and the orb on top of it, there are stairs leading up to it. However, you can't get into the space legally um, because it is blocked off with chain link fence and barbed wire. So not a uh, good idea to go for it. Um, it's locked up. It's one of those things where, like, I'm not a vandal. I'm not trying to fuck around or anything. Um, I would just love to go up there once just to say I made it in there. But I will also admit that I'm well aware that, like, you get to the top of the stairs, you're inside of the orb. It's just a radar and uh, a dirty white ball. Although you get to see the inside of it. Maybe it's not as dirty. I don't know. But uh, it is what it is, you know. I gotta make sure I almost uh, almost did a farmer blow of my nose here, and uh, not a good idea because I get bloody noses this time of year when I get too aggressive with that stuff. Already happened on a run the other day. Oh man, I was running by Lake Michigan right before a work presentation too. I was like, I had a busy day. One of those days where I like barely have a full hour to get a lunch break in, and I was you know down south of Navy Pier there, north of Navy Pier there. Getting towards Chicago after you turn around and I just do a quick blow. And uh, yeah, here comes the blood, baby. So that was pretty unpleasant because then it's like you're two miles from home. You had a work call, a presentation uh, over Zoom in like 35 minutes. And you're like, am I supposed to like just stop and hold my nose? I don't, you know, you don't have any tissues or anything until this is done. Or am I supposed to like walk it off or am I supposed to keep running because I literally need to be back in my office and like put on a tie for this thing. Um, so I ended up doing a little bit of everything. My first reaction was to stop. Cause it was like, you got blood everywhere. Running is not the best thing. Then I was like, Oh, I should walk. 
uh, to try to save some time here. And then I realized like I don't have the time to just casually walk two miles home. So that was fun. So now I'm just hyper conscious of this stuff. By the way here, and then we're gonna talk uh, Jim Jones, some things I learned this morning. From my view up here, I can see what is estimated. You'd think they could figure this out uh, for, you know, for sure, but what is estimated to be the last remaining chain link ferry left in North America. So there are different types of ferries. Chain link ferry is essentially, uh, it's not like, you know, this boat that has, you know, an engine or something where it's moving across the river. It literally is connect. There's a chain that connects either side. I don't know if it's underwater or if they string it above the water. I don't actually, I've never been here in summer, so I don't know how it works, but it's like $2. It takes two people to operate. I think like one person on the side you're going to, and then one person on the boat. And I think it's just like a wheel you crank, I imagine. And that it just pulls the, the, by cranking the wheel or turning the wheel, whatever you do, it pulls your ship or your boat, your ferry along the chain and it gets you to the other side of the river and it goes both ways. The funny thing about this, so the reason there's a ferry is because it connects downtown Sagatuck across the Kalamazoo River to basically where I am now, Mount Baldhead, or at least the base of it. And it's gotta be, I don't know, I'm eyeballing it right now. This thing's probably ha has to be like, a hundred yards, hundred meters across, something like that. It's a very narrow river um, where it is right here, downtown Saugatuck. And so I think that it takes like two minutes to get across and it, it costs like $3. The alternative is driving or biking across the bridge on the south side of town and then making a big loop back up north to Mount Baldhead, which from downtown Saugatuck is probably a conservative four minute drive. So. But if you're walking, it's like three miles, so could save you a little bit of time. But I'm reading about Guiana a little bit, and here are some notes I took. We'll talk trivia, and then we'll uh, there's a little bit more uh, history for you here about the radar. Uh, so what I learned about Guiana is that the whole region is actually known as the Guianas. So Suriname, French Guiana, um, regular Guiana. And then even parts of eastern Venezuela and northern Brazil. And if you're curious, Guiana translates from its local language to uh, land of many rivers, which is not a joke or anything like that. That's actually what I learned this morning because I didn't know. It's like, what does Guiana mean? And uh, and another interesting tidbit, uh, if you've you know if you're a geography head, you'll know this, or a map head, of course you know this, but. Uh, I'm going to venture down this dune a little bit the other side because I've never really gone here before. It's it's all just sand and it's wet and damp. But, you know, French Guiana is spelled G-U-I-A-N-A. -A, whereas the country of Guiana, at least in English, is spelled G-U-Y-A-N-A. -A. So I guess it's just an I versus, an, uh, versus a Y. Not one of my better ideas to start venturing down this dune. This would be a pain in the ass to go all the way down to the beach from here. It's just wet sand. It's hard to get a grip. But I'm adventurous. I'm learning new things. Um, so I mentioned it's known as the Guianas. You're thinking, okay, well, there's French Guiana, there's regular Guiana, which was British Guiana. What happened to Suriname? Well, Suriname is actually the, uh, the local name, if you will. And uh, it used to be known as Dutch Suriname, Suriname, however you want to say it. 
And I, it, anytime I think of Suriname, I'm reminded of a, a great victory I had um, playing trivia, at Charm City Trivia Mother's Grill on Thursday nights. Um, by the way, when you get to like 30 feet going down the dune here at Mount Baldhead, there are different trails that branch in different ways. And one of these trails, if you take the, the southern branch, takes you back down the dune away uh, from the orb. And that's what they use for the Mount Baldhead Challenge, which takes place every year in like September, I think. And it's like a, it's, you can do a, a 10K course or a half marathon course, and it's multi-terrain. You know, you'd be running on like this sand that I'm on. You have to run up the stairs too, so pretty cool. Uh, something I would probably want to do at some point in the future. It's just a three-hour drive, so it's not super casual. But you kind of go all around Sagatuck and um, up the stairs to the orb and down the sand and stuff, down this path. So that would be pretty cool. I would want to do the 10K, not the half marathon. Half marathon multi-terrain with stairs in the middle. I mean, you you heard how I was panting just trying to record a podcast. Imagine running that in the middle of a half marathon. Tough enough already with the 10K. Uh, but this trail's kind of spooky. Um, I went down, I'm going down this like south branch right now, a little bit away from the orb. Um, I guess it's not that spooky. It's just, you know, it's raining, it's foggy. I'm up here by myself talking to the beanheads. And there's vicious deer around. You never know when they're going to pop out. I mean, I almost smacked one with my car earlier. All the weeds from the trees are gone. Very just dark and gray up here. Um, but uh, the final question always was weighed extremely heavily. In the Charm City Trivia Games, which was the name of the company that ran uh, the, the trivia in Baltimore that we always played. And the answer is, I think it's pretty, or the question is pretty straightforward. It was just like, what is the only country in South America where Dutch is the official language? And it's one of those questions where it's like, if you know your South American history or geography, you could probably figure that out pretty well. But if you really only thing you know about South America is like Brazil and Copacabana in the Andes Mountains, then you're probably going to be SOL because you probably have never even heard of Suriname. So I got it. I won first prize. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, so I learned uh, learned that Suriname used to be Dutch Guiana. And it, to even, you know, hammer the, the point home because the Guiana, as I mentioned, include part of northern Brazil and eastern Venezuela. The largest city in the entire Guiana's region, if you will, is Ciudad Guiana, I think it's called, which is in eastern Venezuela near the border with Guiana. So, and if you're curious, from west to east, left to right on a map, it goes Guiana, then Suriname, then French Guiana. I don't really have a, uh, what's the mnemonic for helping you remember that? I guess it would go G, S, F. I don't know, like Gordon Food Services, except it's not that, so it's not helpful. So just remember that it's like Gordon Food Services, except it's not, it's, you know, it's backward. I'm looking straight down. So I, I came back to the main branch. I'm looking straight down towards the beach. Kind of a cool, spooky image. I'm going to try to take a picture of this. Hopefully it doesn't mess up the uh, recording I'm doing. I don't know. One of those pictures that is like, you see me post it later and you'll be like, this wasn't that good of a picture. But it's just kind of cool. It's like straight downhill towards the lake covered in uh, sand and leaves. So there's also the North Northwoods Trail, um, a 2,112 foot long 
trail through a shady wooded area. Um, okay, nothing that interesting there. All you need to know is there's some different paths up here. Great for trail running. Good for uh, cardio. You heard how I was up those stairs. I don't, you don't get a lot of elevation in uh, Chicago. But back to our notes, the other things I learned. Oh, the next thing I wrote in my notes, this was just three hours ago. Jim Jones was a wild man. Uh, he's got a really, he started off as like a, you know, kind of uh, like mega church preacher kind of deal. Pentecostalism in the like the 50s basically was his thing. But it just very quickly devolved into, well, I think what started to happen first was like many of these guys, um, there was a lot of abuse and illegal things he was doing in the church that, you know, we're not getting out. And basically, I think to summarize, as these, as the the cracks started to appear in his image, in his church, in his story, he started to get super paranoid about being watched, censorship, the U.S. government, and this is what eventually led him to leaving the United States and going to South America. But he was also really wild because he was, um, or not wild not the right word. He was wild, but he was really big on, if I think about like, I don't know, even like some of the Black Panther party ideals, he was really big on racial integration. A large percentage of his church was African-American. Um, he was bisexual, He not like publicly, but it became pretty clear over time that he was he was banging guys and gall and dolls. I think he like one of his things that he covered up that he never actually got punished for was raping a guy in his church. So that's kind of neat, not good. Neat's not the word I wanted to use, obviously. Um, he so eventually, you know, we're not doing the whole timeline here of Jim Jones. I would encourage you to go read about it though. Um, but he really wanted, he was so big on communist ideals like Marxism and, and Lenin stuff. He really wanted to move his congregation to either like the Soviet Union or North Korea or China it was really what he wanted to do. And it was just too tough because he had, you know, he wasn't just like a solitary guy. He has this big like congregation obviously um with a lot of moving parts and people and stuff kind of militant and so he ended up buying a bunch of land not from what i read he didn't do a very good job like vetting the situation um he buys a bunch of land in northwestern guiana which is it's not like rich soil or anything like that it's just like swamp not swamps, not right, but jungle, right? This is like the Amazon, basically. And you read about the compound, Jonestown. It's not good for farming. Um, so, like, I guess they just got a killer deal on this, and that's why he chose to set up shop there. But basically, he buys this huge plot of land. He brings a bunch of people down there to start working on it. And he eventually moves, you know, like a 1,000 people down there to be part of this commune, compound insulated world not even on the beach you'd think if you're going down there you'd at least want to have some good beach access i guess jim jones with his turtleneck 
sweaters and his suits and his aviator sunglasses wasn't really big on the beach. I don't know. They didn't say anything about that in the Wikipedia article. But basically, he gets his people down there. And his whole thing is like he's he's like the only one that can save you. I was reading about some wild things he would do where he basically would like obviously know what happens at the end of the story already probably, but he would drug people and then like put their, I read about this one story. He drugged a lady in the church, put her arm in a cast. When she woke up, he told her that she fainted, fell and broke her arm. And then he's able to magically heal her. He removes the cast and does perform some magic tricks. And now she's healed. And um, basically that was his sort of thing. So he basically created this image of himself as the second coming, the third coming of Christ, I guess, at that point. So that's kind of what he was all about. So he gets all these people relying on him. And um, it's, you know, that that type of uh, control is sort of what he's able to accomplish and instill. But basically he turns this thing into like a labor camp. I don't really, you know, I'm sure this has been written about. What I don't understand, you know, to this day is still like, what was exactly Jim Jones' motivation? Like, what was he trying to accomplish? I know he was big on, like, getting away from the U.S. and capitalism. But he has, like, this compound where he's just, like, having sex with a bunch of people. I mean, I guess this isn't like, it's not like he was the only person that ever did this. But he's got this compound, basically, where people, like, worship and adore him. Like, a thousand people. But living conditions seem kind of poor, shitty, to be honest. They're, like, really shitty for everyone else. They're they're better for him. Um, but it still doesn't seem that glamorous. Like, I don't know. He seems hypocritical enough in hindsight that he could have still just, like, done this from Southern California or something and, like, lived in a really bougie situation without having to, like, live in a jungle in Guyana. I don't really know. Uh, maybe that wasn't as important to him as the you know, the sexual relations and stuff. But I'm reading a little bit, reading a little bit about, oh, uh, he made everyone when they get got to Jonestown claim, like sign a, a paper saying that they were homosexual and that he was the only heterosexual um, at Jonestown. I didn't really learn anything more about like why exactly that was, but that's what he wanted, even though he was the bisexual one. Um, the eating was not uh, was not very good at Jonestown. Apparently, people would have rice for breakfast, rice water for lunch, and then I think it was like an egg for dinner or something like that. So you get all these people who are like starving. Not to mention, it's mostly, and I couldn't figure out why this was either, I guess just vulnerable populations, but it was mostly children and the elderly who were there. Like that's the majority of his camp were like people under 18 and people above 60. It's just like wild to me. I never really realized that until I read about it this morning. Um, he was, I mentioned before, he's a very paranoid guy. And he was always worried that the British Army, the U.S. Army, the, the Guyanese Army was going to cir- encircle his compound and wipe everyone out. And so he did a lot of fear mongering to the point that he conducted drills with everyone in Jonestown. 800 people or whatever and basically told them that they were under siege under attack and they had to assume their you know defense positions and whatever that whatever else they had to do as part of that but he wouldn't tell them you know when you have a fire drill now your office emails you the day before saying we're having a fire drill tomorrow he wouldn't tell them until after 
it had happened. And the crazy thing about this is the longest, they had one drill at one point, an invasion drill that actually lasted six whole days. And he would like hire people to go into the jungle outside of the compound and fire their weapons. And obviously if you're being told that you're under attack and no one told you to drill, yeah, you're going to think it's serious. That's crazy. And he also simulated now, as we get towards the end of the story here, he simulated the poison. He told people that it was poison, you know, passing the flavor aid around. I know, I know everyone says drinking the Kool-Aid, but it's actually flavor aid is what it was. So Kool-Aid's getting dragged through the mud here, but he told people, Hey, um, you know, you're, we're all poisoning ourselves now because the enemy's closing in on us and they all drank it. And so then he tells him afterwards, no, it actually wasn't laced with cyanide, which I learned this about cyanide today. So that's what he used to poison the people. I knew that. But the reason he could get so much cyanide was he apparently what you use cyanide for is cleaning gold. And so he could get like 50 pounds shipped to him a month or something like that. And that's how he was able to, you know, get to where we're about to get to here at the end of the story. Um, by the end of the compound, he had installed loudspeakers across the entire compound so that he could play his sermon on a 24 set or his sermons on a 24 seven loop. There was no break from it. And again, I mentioned, uh, oh, he, well, I mentioned he really wanted to do this like Soviet union or communist China or something. He did get one of the like Soviet union leaders to actually come to his compound. Um, and to like, try to convince him that, they should be able to relocate to to Soviet Union. And apparently it was a good visit, but I don't think the guy had like the power to bring these people over. So essentially what happens is, you know, the U.S. is aware of this situation, but it's, you know, kind of demanding to do anything about it. It's all these U.S. citizens, but you're down in South America. And they've received like one or two people, I think had gotten a word out or transmission out or something, basically like asking for help. Um, because they couldn't leave or escape or anything like that because they're deep in the jungle. So USN's Congressman Leo Ryan and some like reporters and photographers down there to assess the situation. And the visit goes fine from like the outside, but Leo Ryan gets approached by a couple of people who are sharing their concern or trying to like help me get out. And so he's, along with these reporters and photographers, he's going to like take this, you know, what he saw, what he experienced back to the U.S. So he gets back to the tarmac. Jim Jones sends his goons after them and they shoot it up and they kill like five people, including Congressman Jim Ryan. At that point, I think that's when Jim Jones really breaks, snaps. He heads, or he's still at the compound, I guess. He calls everyone to the center of the compound. It has a specific name. It's where he did his sermons. I can't remember what it was called. And uh, you know the rest of the story. This time he actually poisons the uh, the flavor aid. The really uh, shitty thing about this whole situation, among many shitty things, is that now he had conditioned all these people at the compound to think that this was just another drill. So everyone's just like casually drinking it. They're like, yeah, even if it, uh, even if he says it's poisonous, we've been through this before. We've been under invasion before. It's always just a practice. It's always just a drill. So all these people, eight hundred or so. Drink the flavor aid, mostly children and the elderly, and uh, a lot of dead bodies a couple minutes later. Jim Jones was found with a, sh- uh, a gunshot in his head. It's unclear if he did it or someone else 
uh, he told someone else to do it. But uh, that's sort of what happened there. The last note I have on this, and then we're going to do trivia and then read a little bit about the orb and then walk down and that's our show. Um, 85 people survived. Uh, some of them just uh, one person hid in a ditch. One person hid, uh, pretended they were sleeping in their bed. Um, a couple people escaped into the jungle. But the craziest group of people, I think there's 13 people who survived. Did, I learned this this morning. I couldn't believe this. The Jonestown basketball team went to Georgetown, the capital of Guyana, to play against the Guyanese national basketball team in 19-whatever-this-was, 78, including on the basketball team Jim Jones' three sons, uh, Jim Jones Jr., Steven, and, and one other one, Ringo, I think. So these sons survive. I don't know if any of them are still alive to this day, probably, but um, absolutely crazy. Obviously, the fact that like his three sons were on this basketball team, they weren't there when this happened. That's crazy. But the actual crazy thing, there was a Jane, uh, a, a Jonestown basketball team. That would be like Charles Manson having Squeaky Fromm at point guard. Uh, like I couldn't believe it when I read that. I was like, this has to be like someone edited the Wikipedia article to say something funny. But who knew? So, yeah. The Jonestown basketball team survived the incident. And those poor three sons never got to talk to their dad again, crazy as he was. So that's what I learned about Jonestown this morning. And with that in mind, we've been talking about uh, the uh, Guiana region broadly. So there's uh, three three countries whose names are directly tied to this. We mentioned French Guiana, British Guiana, which is now just Guiana, and then Dutch Guiana, which is now Suriname. So my task for you, my trivia question for you this week, email us beantownpodcast at yahoo.com with your answers or tweet at us at beantowncast. Put these three countries in order of population from smallest to largest. So again, three, they're not all three countries actually. We never even said this. French Guiana is a territory of France. Uh, it's not its own country. So people always say, oh, what's the most populous country or biggest country that France borders? It's always a trick question because it's actually Brazil, which is kind of stupid, but that's the actual answer. Um, but these uh, these three, let's just call them areas, states, if you will, whatever, not important for the, the purpose of this uh, trivia question. Suriname, French Guiana, and Guiana, put those three in order of population. If you want any more time, go ahead and pause this fine broadcast the answer, and I'll give you the numbers rounded to the closest thousand uh, number of people. Starting off small, French Guiana, 301,000 people. Next up, Suriname is at 613,000 people. And then your big winner, Guiana, 805,000 people, although about 1,000 lighter than it could have been, thanks to Jim Jones and his just nuttiness. Uh, so there you go. That's Beantown Podcast Trivia Question of the Week. No palindrome of the week uh, this week because I – developed a lot of this stuff sitting in the car getting ready to start recording um last thing at the top of the orb here this has been a special treat doing a broadcast live from the orb in the rain in the cold uh this is so there's another sign at the top here this one's a little bit more technical but here you go to give you a visual i gotta remember to take a picture actually let's let's do that right now before i forget a nice picture of the orb it's beautiful you got to get a selfie too My thumb always looks extra wrinkly, like it just got out of the pool or something, the bathtub. I don't know why. Um, 
Um, okay, so got our pictures. Here is the sign at the top of the orb. In 1960, 131 gap filler radar stations scanned the skies across the United States for enemy attack. Today, no more than three of these installations remain, and you are looking at one of them. In 1956, Sagatuck leased the top of Mount Baldhead to the U.S. Air Force for a building and radar tower, the Annex, in, in exchange for new stairs to replace the aging stairs built in 1931. The Air Force built a semi-automatic ground environment stage gap filler radar to detect enemy aircraft flying down Lake Michigan to target rich areas in northern Indiana and Chicago. Okay, this is uh, what I'm looking at now. The Annex is a concrete block building with a three-legged radar antenna tower and dome. The installation was designed to be controlled remotely and to run unattended. Before the fiberglass ray dome, aka the, the orb, was added in 1963, the antenna could be seen rotating at a stately 5.33 revolutions per minute. It's pretty slow, so in one minute it would go around a little more than five times. The building has two separate rooms with no connecting doorway. The smaller room on the east side of the building housed a diesel-powered generator that was removed in 1969. So the generator is gone. The radar is still at the top. The larger room on the west side contains two ANFPS-18 receiver transmitter pairs, substantially intact but deteriorating due to a leaking roof and vandalism. So that's the computer. Uh, the white radar dome is an iconic landmark, amen, visible for miles in all directions and used, at, here we go, I was mentioning this earlier, used as a navigational aid for mar mariners, uh, don't see that word often outside of the uh, AL West, seeking Sagatuck or other nearby ports. It currently houses various contemporary communications antenna and a local TV station's camera. So if you live here in southwestern Michigan, you turn on the morning news, you can see the view from the top of the orb. I can see the camera actually. I'm looking right at it. It looks uh, pretty much straight south, bent a little bit to the east. It looks out over, uh, just like the view I was talking about earlier, basically pointing towards Douglas with downtown Sagatuck, down into the left of the uh, view a little bit, which is what I'm seeing right now. And uh, we will now make our descent from the orb. What a treat this has been, getting to broadcast live from the top of the orb. That's a dream come true. I also got lucky because I was going to be that weirdo um, who was uh, doing a broadcast when someone walked up here and wanted to see the orb as well. There is one person going down the, uh, but I haven't seen anyone, is what I was trying to say. There is one person going down the stairs almost at the bottom now as I start my descent. Um, but I didn't hear him when he came up. So maybe he, uh, I don't know, maybe he bought a ticket to the live Beantown podcast show and didn't want to say hi, do a meet and greet after the show, not sure, but uh, we now uh, descend less uh, less out of breath going down than going up the stairs, obviously, but it got to be a little bit careful here, kind of slippery here in the rain. But there we go, that's uh, that's Sagatuck, that's the orb, it's become a an annual tradition for Rachel and I, we've come up to Michigan it started off, we, we came here for our, our one-year anniversary, um, which our anniversary is in February. It will eventually be in April when we shift over. Shortly after, it'll be our five-year anniversary when we get married. I think that's a pretty good chunk of time. We came up to Sawyer, which is uh, closer to Indiana, down down the coast here. And uh, it was you know late February. It was snowy. We got like snowed in basically the whole time. So we couldn't do a ton of like fun things, but it was really kind of just like getting away, um, you know, exploring. And then I don't remember how we picked it, but we decided at the end of that year, 
uh, that we're going to try Saga Tuck. And it's stuck ever since. This is our third time doing it now. Uh, yeah, we'll go uh, to Saga Tuck Brewing later this afternoon. Excuse me, which has one of my favorite beers, the Peanut Butter Porter. In fact, I was so excited for it. I was at the grocery store earlier this morning uh, picking up some some snacks and a bottle of wine. And I was just like, the peanut butter porter is right here. Before I forget, let me just grab a six-pack. So I got it secured. Um, that's one of my favorite beers. And then there's a smaller uh, company, a smaller brewery out of Grand Rapids that has a satellite um, tap room here in downtown Sagatuck, Mitten Brewing Company. You can't really find any of their stuff outside of their breweries, at least um, I haven't ever. Um, but they have a Peanuts and Cracker Jack uh, Porter, which is just absolutely delicious. I, like, dream of that thing. It's so good. Um, so we'll probably go there tomorrow at some point. But, yeah, we'll go to we'll go to supper tonight. And uh, tomorrow we've got the parade. And we've got the, the bar crawl, the ugly sweater bar crawl. Raffle tickets we're going to try to win this year. Last year we were really wasted because we... <laughs> Went to Pumpernickels, a nice, uh, kind of nicer restaurant and bar in downtown Sagatuck, and watched the World Cup. Remember World Cup last year in Qatar, I think was it? One of those hot countries with a lot of sand, and so they had to play it in December, and the U.S. or November, December, and so the U.S. had their uh, their round of 16 game after the knockout stage or the group stage, rather, first first game in the knockout stage where they were playing uh, Netherlands, I think, and they lost uh, whatever it was, like 3-1 to one or something. But we uh, we uh, imbibed I-N-B-I-B-E-D quite a bit because they do bottomless mimosas, but the way it works is you buy it per, you know, each person has to buy it, so you can't just, like, share it, which I get. But then they just bring you an entire uh, bottle of champagne and some orange juice, and you make it yourself. So when you finish your first bottle, which is like, yeah, that's a lot, but you're watching a soccer game. It's like two hours, two and a half hours. Um, you get through the first bottle and you're like, well, even if we don't have the entire second bottle, each of us might as well get it because we already paid for it. And so you do it. And the next thing you know, your team gets knocked out of the World Cup. And so you're feeling sorry for yourself. And so you, before too long, you've each had a, two bottles of champagne, which is wild. And then we didn't even have anything planned the rest of the day, but all of a sudden we walk outside in the bright sunshine, sunshine, what is that? Sunshine. And the Sagatuck Christmas Parade is happening. So we've got that all planned this year. We're ready for it. But we got the parade tomorrow. Probably not the two bottles of champagne beforehand, but who knows? And then uh, Christmas bar crawl after that. One flight of stairs left here. As we descend from the orb, I want to thank everyone for listening to our program. Hopefully the audio worked out. This is a big leap. This is one of those things where like, if this doesn't come through or something, it's like one of the most disappointing things in my life. So fingers crossed on that front. Uh, but thanks everyone for listening. And uh, thanks everyone for putting up with my panting, my huffing, my puffing, and everything else that went along with it. I hope you learned something today about Mount Baldhead, about the orb about Guiana, about Jim Jones, and, yeah, all things Sagatuck. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for supporting our show. We will come at you live next week with another installment here 
on Quinn David Furnace presents the Beantown Podcast. No outro music. This is the end of the show. Everyone stay safe, stay sane. I'll check in on you next time. Bye.